This morning's scripture from Romans, the 15th chapter, verses 5 through 13. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the truthfulness in your Word, Father. The life that it speaks into our hearts and minds and into this dark, dying world. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would illuminate it to us this morning, and that you would make your will through these words known to your people, Father. Lord, I just pray that you you help encourage me this morning and that the words I speak be not of myself, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing once again in this theme of unity. We started a few weeks ago and uh, we're continuing throughout this 15th chapter, looking at this idea or notion of unity in the church, unity among fellow believers in Christ. And Paul asks us to lay aside the petty differences and become one church united for the glory of God. And hopefully after last week, you understand what I'm talking about when I say non-essentials, And what I'm talking about when I say petty differences, that's what Paul is asking us to do. He's not asking us to overlook sin. He's not asking us to overlook anything that does damage to the gospel. In fact, he was dealing with what people ate and what people drank. And so if you can sort of extrapolate from that, then you can come up with ideas of things that are non-essential. And that's what Paul has asked us to do. So that brings us to the question, is why is being a united and welcoming church so important? Why is that on Paul's agenda through this 15th chapter? And I think that part of it, and we're going to get into another part later on, but I think that a part of it is the church is a window to God for the world. So when the church, or when the world thinks of God, 
they should be able to look to the church and get an idea of who God is, what he is like, what his demands are, what his love looks like, and be able to know God by the example the church gives. And as we celebrate Mother's Day this morning, (coughs) and what a blessing that is, but to an individual basis and your child, you do the same thing as being a mother or being a father. You represent God to that child. They know no one else. And so it is up to you to demonstrate to them God in how you parent them. And as Adrian said, that's part of the role of being a mother we, or a father. We are ambassadors of Christ to our children, and the church is an ambassador of Christ to the world. So when a child looks to its parent, he can see, in a very veiled sense, the glory of God. And when the world looks at the church, it can see, in a veiled sense, veiled by sin no less, the glory of God. And so I I think that's why it's important that Paul asks us to demonstrate unity. The moms demonstrate unity by showing, or demonstrate God by showing love and grace, forgiveness and mercy and nurturing and all those things to their child. Sometimes wrath, but sometimes that gets left over for dad to take care of. But it is important that that child recognizes the attributes of God in a parent. Whether it is that love, mercy, compassion, wrath, everything that comes along with that. And that's why I believe that it's important that the church also be able to accurately portray God to the world in general. But clearly... Parents are not God, and, and we lack a lot as parents and, and, and grandparents, but to the extent possible, we are to represent God the best way we can, and that is true also from the church as well. When we fail to represent God as who He is, then the world fails to know and understand the God of the Bible. And that's happened a lot, unfortunately, in our culture today. We haven't done a good enough job letting the world know who the God of the Scriptures is. We haven't. So what's happened is the world has tried to dictate to us who our God is. They have changed things to the point of defining God and trying to impose it on the church. It's because we've not done a very good job of defining who the God of the Bible is. If we had done a better job at that, we wouldn't have had this issue. But I think that's why it's so important that we're able to know God's Word as a people and as a church and to be able to defend the faith and the idea of who God is, what He commands, and what He demands as the Creator of the world. So that is one of the reasons that God commands us to be united so that we can show the world the unity of God and how 
the people in his church are different than the people in the world and how he's called us out to be different. That we don't squabble and bicker over things that are unimportant, over non-essential things, such as what we eat, what we drink, colors of curtains, you name it. He's called us out to be above that. When we squabble and bicker and divide over non-essential manners, then we're no different than the world. Then we are the same as what unbelievers are. Because God knows that's what happens out there, right? We squabble and bicker over anything and everything that we can possibly find. But God asks that we not do that as a church. That we represent Him and we show unity as we do that. If we do otherwise, then we portray a picture to the world that God approves of that type of behavior. That is the window into God that the world views the church. If we bicker and squabble over non-essential things and we let those things divide us, then the world says, that's what God's like. Eh, not sure he's any different than the God I serve or non-God that I serve. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. A couple of weeks ago we saw that God gives us endurance and encouragement and he does that through his word. And here in verse 5, Paul actually starts praying. And this is a prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So he's asking for our cooperation, our love, our unity, our oneness as a church. He is not telling us to use our discipline or own will to overcome a desire to be divisive, divisive. That's not how he's telling us to do it. He's asking God to grant us that. It's hard to do, and it's something you're not going to be able to do if you just try to seek your own will or your own desire not to be divisive. You could do that all you want, but there's still going to be disunity. And that's why Paul comes in here and prays to God to grant us that ability. The world doesn't have that ability. Turn on the news. The world will always be divisive, and as much as anyone... How many times have you heard president after president after president from whatever party it is, their first words in office is, I'm going to bring people together. Ah, you ain't. You can't. Because the fallen world is incapable of being united. That is a gift from God, and that's why Paul asked, praise God. He prays to God and asks Him to grant that to us, that we can be in harmony with one another, that we can be united with one, with one another. 
And Paul knows that the only way that we can live in harmony is for God to give us that. So that is the reason for his prayer. And notice he says, in accord with Christ Jesus. So we are to live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Let's use those words, in accord. Let's rephrase that a little bit. As fitting of followers of, okay? So let us live in harmony as fitting as of followers of, as fitting for followers of, all right? Act like you're Jesus's. Act like you belong to Jesus is what he's saying here. So God's going to grant us the ability to live in harmony with each other so that we can be like followers of Christ should be like. Non-followers of Christ can't live in harmony. Only followers of Christ, because God grants it to us, can we live in harmony. And so that's the whole notion that Paul's getting at here. When we live in harmony with each other, we act like we are children of the King. It's that simple. When we live in harmony with each other, we act like we are children of the King. Christ gave us a perfect example of harmony with each other, did he not? But there's also a flip side to it, sort of like my last week's message. There's a flip side to that harmonious side of Jesus. And we saw that. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. These are the words of Christ. That's why they're in red. Luke 12, 51 through 53. From now, for from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So, this is a different side, right? We know that Christ's work here on earth was very harmonious, but then we've got this division. What's he talking about? The gospel is divisive. It just is. The gospel is extremely divisive. The gospel tells us that we can't get to heaven on our own, that somebody else did it for us, that he took our sins upon ourselves. We accept Jesus as sacrificing for our sins, and then we change. Our life changes to where we don't go back to being that old dreaded person that we were. And it is very divisive. We know when Jesus talked to the Pharisees that his words were harsh. I mean, he didn't water it down. He didn't say, that's okay. I'm going to love and embrace your ideas anyway, even though they're damaging to the gospel. He didn't say that at all. Believers and unbelievers don't share the same spirit. And if you want to see how divisive the gospel is, anytime the name of Jesus is mentioned, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to unbelievers. You can see that. You can hear that. It, it happens every day. But he's saying to each other, to fellow believers, then we are to be united. But the gospel is going to divide. Because by its very nature, that's what it does. It divides. 
We are to be united. Why? We are to be united because we share the same spirit. The very spirit of God resides in us. The world shares the same spirit, the spirit of Satan. And those two are very divisive. They are fallen and they don't coexist very well. That's why when the name of Jesus is mentioned to the world that it just sends the brain into orbit. Because they don't want to hear about the gospel message or Christ or his sacrifice or have anything to do with the gospel. But we are to be united as one because we share the spirit of the creator with each other. The spirit of Satan wants to dictate to believers how we should act. But we need to be on guard and watchful and guard against that at all times. That together, verse 6, you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate purpose behind it. We had a purpose in that in, in unity, the the church is a window to God so that the world can see what God is like, how he loves, and the things he has done. But again, we find in verse 6 what is, in my mind, the ultimate purpose behind the unity. So that we may with one voice glorify God. Glorify God. We cannot glorify God and be divisive over trivial issues. We it's, it's like having members of the same body pulling in different directions. It just doesn't work very well. And so if we've got divisive issues within the church, we can't, with one voice, glorify the Father. It just doesn't happen. Also, when we are glorifying, or when we're not glorifying God, when we are being divisive, who are we worried about? This guy, right? If I get my hackles up about something that is non-essential, that has nothing to do with the gospel or salvation or anything, then it's likely I'm getting my hackles up just because it's offensive to me. And you think about a lot of the divisions in the church over non-essential matters, and that's what's caused them. It's just come down to a, a, a desire, a selfish desire to have it my way, as opposed to a selfless desire to glorify God. Paul, back in verse 1, talked about and warned against pleasing ourselves. He says, don't drink wine that's not kosher, and don't eat meat sacrificed to idols just because you want to please yourself. But instead, make the sacrifice so that you build your brothers and sisters up and you help them along in the gospel. You've heard me say it over and over again, but we exist to glorify and make much of God. That, that's why he put us here. We may think that we're put here for some other reason, but that's not it. We are here, we breathe for one reason, and that is to glorify God and make much of His Son. 
It's the chief end of man. But we forget about that and we get everything turned upside down so many times. When we act in a manner that takes that away from us, then we are acting contrary to our own existence. When we act in a manner that is not glorifying to God, we are acting in a manner that is contrary or the opposite of why we live and breathe. Verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul tells us to welcome one another. That should be the goal of our church. Be welcoming to each other. Be welcoming to everyone. Be warm to each other. Be ready to share your seat, no matter where it's at, with whoever it may be. I would like to think that we are welcoming. And he says, we welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. Why? For the glory of God. We see that over and over and over again, that selflessness for the glory of God. Don't worry about pleasing yourself, but give up yourself for the glory of God. The glory of God's a big deal. Sacrificing on this earth for the glory of God is huge. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever we do, we are to do it for the glory of God. God has given us wonderful things in this life. Wonderful things that we can experience, foods we can eat, joys we can share with each other. And he is giving them all to us so that he may be what? Glorified. It's that simple. From the beauty of the sky that Irma was admiring yesterday to the smell of the the blossoms of the flowers that are blooming today to the love that you have for your children and the love that you share with your family. They were given to us for the glory of God. Not for us to grab hold on and worship and change the desires of our heart from the Creator to the creation. Too often we trade the glory of God for His creation. We tend to cling tightly to the things that we're going to lose. I promise you. That sky, for as beautiful as it is, there's going to be a day when we're not going to see that sky. We can't take that sky with us. So we have to put all things in their proper context to understand. And the best way to do it is to be constantly in our hearts, giving glory to God for everything that He gives us. The things that He gives us, they are not the end. They are a means to glorify Him. He is the end. He should be our treasure above all things. I saw a a meme this week that it was meant well, but it really bothered me. 
Because in that meme, I think it was titled, The Instant You Get to Heaven. And it was every person that was dying, and they were there, and they were hugging their child, hugging their mom, hugging their dad. That's the end, right? Where's Jesus? Where was Jesus? He wasn't even on the picture. If you want to go to heaven to be with your family, you're lost. That's a beautiful byproduct. That's not the end. The end is to be with Christ as your treasure for all eternity. That picture was a worldly portrayal of a desire to get something from the Creator and not understand the glory of the Creator Himself. It was meant well, but it was horrific whenever you step back and look at it from 30,000 feet. If the only reason you're coming to church is so that you can see Grandma or Aunt Mary or whoever it may be, then go home. Because you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the glory of God. You don't understand Christ. Our number one goal and objective is to get to heaven so that we can share and see his glory and glorify him day after day after day. Seeing Aunt Mary and all those other things will be wonderful, but they are byproducts. They're secondary. They're secondary to everything else. So that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we glorify God. If we get concentrated on the end, then we lose sight and things get turned upside down. If the most important thing in our lives is our family, then you're going to lose out because it's going to go south at some point in time. And you hear that a lot, right? Without a doubt, the answer, the correct answer, the most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ. He gives us families to enjoy, to teach about His glory, and to glorify Him through that. But when we stop glorifying Him, then everything falls apart. When we trade the glory of God for his creation, then he gives us over to those sinful desires. And we went through that in Romans 1, and we saw how destructive that can be. For I tell you that Christ became a servant, verse 8, to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Paul begins a little bit of a transition here, and the transition is to Christ and the unity of his people. And it says that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Who were the circumcised? The Jews. So he became a servant to the circumcised. Why did he become a servant? to demonstrate God's truthfulness and his promises to show that what God said is true and will come to be. Secondly, why did he become a servant? 
In order that the Gentiles, us, that we might do what? Glorify God for his mercy. That we might glorify God for his mercy. God made no promises to the Gentiles. He made no Old Testament covenant with the Gentiles. That was with the Jewish nation. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Because of his mercy. So, by showing the Gentiles mercy, what does he get? What should he get in return? Glory. Glory. By showing us mercy, he gets glorified. We see God in a very special way. And again, we see God's actions here for the purpose of his glory. So, the Gentiles, we all were brought into the fold so that he would be glorified. Verses 10 through 12, when we have Old Testament, Old Testament quotes of the Gentiles coming into the fold. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles will have hope. So we have the first ones are from Psalm, the last one from Isaiah, these quotes of what was coming in the future. And we see played out here in Romans. Verse 12 was, references the root of Jesse. Who is the root of Jesse? Christ. Christ. The root of Jesse was and is Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus that the Gentiles have hope. We have hope because of the root of Jesse or Jesus. And these Old Testament citations demonstrate that to us. Finally, verse 13. May the God of hope, a benediction of sort here, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit. We're filled with fruit here, right? We're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Once again, Paul begins to pray as sort of a a benediction. And he tells us that the Gentiles had hope because of Jesus and that God is a God of hope. And he's asking him to fill them, fill us with joy and peace. And that joy and peace only comes from believing. That joy and peace only comes from faith. From the fact that we have the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us this hope. And it is with this that he's asking us to be united. And so we've just gone through a short view of Jesus being a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, and to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Folks, if there were two groups of people, or there were, never have been two groups of people that despised each other any more than what the Jews and the Gentiles did. The Gentiles viewed the Jews as self-righteous, nose-in-the-air group of people that they couldn't stand. 
And the Jews viewed the Gentiles as an ungodly, profane group of idolaters, sinful human beings that God despised. But yet Jesus became the Savior to one group. And he brought that group together to be one for his glory. And if his spirit is powerful enough to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together for his glory, his spirit is certainly strong and efficient enough to bring the church together in unity for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us encouragement through Paul's penned words so very long ago that we can know that this unity is for your glory and that we are to glorify you as one church, as one voice, because we share the same spirit. Father, help us to go forward and focus our lives on glorifying you, that we not allow the gifts and the good and the bad of this world to distract us from why we're here, and that is to serve you and to show the world who you are so that you may be glorified. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.